Good to see all of you with us tonight. Appreciate you being here. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 40. And beginning at verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. She hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all the goodness thereof is the fl- as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up unto the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. His arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. Carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in a scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spear of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket." and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he take up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are accounted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him cunning workmen to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names. By the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? 
that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, as I was reading this week in my devotion time, I was reading through, I've been reading through Isaiah and come to this chapter, and I began to write down some things from this chapter. And so tonight I'd like to give you some thoughts about Behold Your God. Behold your God. Let's consider our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that, that in your word you reveal to us yourself. And, Father, uh, how you relate to man. And, Father, your desire to have a, establish a relationship with every man. And I pray tonight as we we'd get a, a glimpse of who you are and your greatness and your power which your word tells us is to us, word who believe, according to your, work, your mighty power, which worketh in us who believe. So, Lord, just encourage us, strengthen us, and uh, just challenge us uh, in a closer walk with you. And maybe you be glorified. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, the book of Isaiah is written to uh, the nation of Israel during a time of turning away from the Lord. Uh, some of this, of course, was during Hezekiah's time. Hezekiah brought about a revival for a period of time. And then, of course, you know, after Hezekiah, there was Manasseh who took the kingdom of Judah to its depths that had never known. Uh, and then after Manasseh, you know, his, his, this is an amazing thing. You have Hezekiah, who was a good, relatively good king. You had Manasseh, who was the worst king Judah ever had. And then you had Josiah, probably the best king since David, that Judah ever had. You know, and of course Hezekiah was Manasseh's father and Josiah was Manasseh's son. If you can believe that. But anyway, so but this you know there was though the revival that was that was uh, uh, happened during Hezekiah's time and Josiah's time was in a lot of ways superficial. In other words, it didn't last. It didn't have really as soon as Josiah's gone, it's gone. As soon as Hezekiah, you know, Manasseh came onto the scene, you know, that, that, must, that uh, uh, revival that Hezekiah had started ended as well. So the really, it didn't, wasn't deep-rooted or have great effect upon the nation as a whole. And so it was a time of apostasy in the nation of Israel, and particularly as he's prophesying to Judah. But, and so, but he's looking forward here uh, to future yet, and how one day they are going to be restored and will be again the glory of the Lord. But he reminds them that it is all of the Lord. And it's, it's because of the greatness of our God. And of course, a lot of these principles we can apply to ourselves today. And so as, as we think about it, behold your God. First, I want you to know the pardon of the Lord. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, men people, saith your gods. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And of course, you know, as we think about Israel uh, here in, in, in the context of what uh, Isaiah is prophesying, he's concerned, prophesying concerning the coming of the Lord and, and the redemption of Israel, which would be still yet future, 
Well, as we think about that, you know, uh, the, that application to ourselves today, you know, God, God has made available to us His pardon to the whole world. Uh, he, he has made available His pardon. You know, John Baptist said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Uh, and this pardon, of course, is offered to all. Uh, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, you know, we need, we need, we, everyone is offered this pardon, whosoever will receive it, repenting of their sins and putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as in Isaiah 45, 22, says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And then again in chapter 55, in verses 6 and 7, Isaiah says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him, call ye upon him while he was near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, anybody that will come to the Lord, turning away from their sin and repentance, and putting their faith and trust in Christ, they will receive the abundant pardon of the Lord. It is available to anyone who will turn from their sin. And, and of course, as Peter told the Jews who, had, who had, were guilty of the crucifixion of Christ, he told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so there is pardon of the Lord if we will receive it, if we will turn to Him, turn from our sin and turn to Him, uh, have repentance toward God and faith in Christ. So there is this abundant pardon that God has uh, toward uh, His people. Toward people. Well, we notice the second thing here, of course, the provision of the Lord that we see in verse 11, uh, verse, verse 10 11, says, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And so pictures here of the Lord as a shepherd. It kind of reminds me of, of the John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, uh, on the discourse of the good shepherd, uh, in John chapter 10, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door in the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, is the same as a thief and the robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he put forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. And this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which spake unto them. Then said Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy... Now, of course, that's speaking of the devil. I am come, they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, 
and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And so he is the good shepherd of the sheep. And, and, and as it says here in Isaiah 11, it says he'll, he'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He leads them to green pastures and beside still waters. It says he'll gather the lambs with his arm. You know, shepherds oftentimes, if there was a lamb that was, that was having problems, would, would carry the lamb. Uh, or if there was sometimes, if there was a, a lamb that was wayward, they'd take that staff and break its leg. And then carry it until it healed. And they said that lamb would never leave the shepherd's side after that. You see, sometimes the Lord has to correct us to bring us near to himself. And he, and, and he, and he will carry us. He will carry us. He, he, care, he says it carries them in his bosom. And shall gently lead those that are with young. Of course, caring for those in need. And so we have a, we have a gentle shepherd. We have a, a one that that leads us to, to still waters, that leads us or feeds us with his word uh, and, and so on. And, and we'll provide and, 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 and that which was needed. You know, the story is told of, a, of a, uh, one of the reformers, a, a uh, contemporary with Martin Luther, John Brents. And uh, he, was, he was told or warned that the Catholic Church was coming to get him. And so he prayed and asked the Lord, what should he do? Or where should he hide? And so the Lord said, you go out in the street and turn to down, go down the street and go through the first door you see open, enter there and shut the door and go into the loft and hide. And so he went down the street, found a barn door open, and went into the barn and shut the door, went up in the loft and hid in the loft. And for seven days he hid in that loft while the, the Catholic Church searched the streets looking for him. And every day, a hen would come up there and lay an egg without cackling. Now, I don't know if you know about chickens. When they lay eggs, they cackle. But this hen laid an egg without cackling for seven days. On the eighth day, she didn't come. And after that, he heard the people out in the streets say, they're gone. And he came out. See, God leads his people. He provides for them, for their safety. And so he leads us like a shepherd. And, and he has promised to provide our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we see here the provision. But we also see his providence in verses thirteen and, or 12, 13, and 14. It says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Now, think about what verse 12 there says. Who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. How are you going to measure the waters of the earth? Or, meet out the heaven. The word meet means measure, has the idea of a length measurement. The, the word measure here, or the waters, has the idea of capacity or volume. But the word meet, meet has the idea of a, of a measure. In fact, it says a span, and a span is from here to here. That's basically what a span is, according to, to, to one commentator. Uh, and so, who, who measured out the, or meted out the uh, heavens with a span, or comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and that word 
comprehended could mean calculate. How are you going to calculate the dust of the earth? You know, the Bible, New Testament tells us he knows the hairs of your head. You ever try counting your hairs? Well, it'd be a little hard to count your own, but you know, you ever have somebody try? Uh, but, the, but the Bible says he knows the very head, the hairs of our head, Matthew tells us. Of course, he also sees every sparrow that falls to the ground. Now, there's a lot of sparrows in the world. Um, I, I wouldn't want to take a guess at how many, but I do know this. When, when Mao Zedong came to power in China, and, and one of the things he instituted was to, to get rid of a bunch of sparrows because they were eating too much grain. So he thought, you know, to, to save grain, because, you know, after all, when, you, when, when you're in a communist country, nobody wants to work because you don't profit by it anyway, so nobody does more than they have to. So that was why there's a shortage of grain to start with. But to get, to get rid of the birds that were eating the grain, he instituted some law where they were supposed to shoot um, uh, the sparrows. And so they killed like five million sparrows. But then it had some adverse effect, and it caused um, more, more shortages of, you know, uh, you know, it, it had the reverse effect that he that he had. But he, you know, he killed five. They killed five million. They, they estimated. Um, so there's a lot of sparrows in the world, and God knows all the numbers of sparrows. Or, or you know, it says weighed the mountains in the scales. Did you ever consider trying to weigh a mountain? Or the hills in a balance? You see, what he's saying, telling here is that God knows all things. Uh, he can provide. He has all means. And, you know, we need to trust in His providence. The word providence has the idea of, of, of providing or, uh, or for that which, for our care and for the future. You know, so one of the things that people worry about is the what ifs or what about tomorrow or what about next year. No, we need to trust. God, who knows what tomorrow will bring. We need to trust God, who knows what next year will bring. We need to trust God, who knows what next year's needs will be. The book of Esther is a good example of of the providence of God. The name of God is not mentioned there anyway, but you see God's overruling power and providence everywhere. Uh, And so, so we just need to trust Him. You know, Acts, or, uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So we need to trust that God knows the end from the beginning, and whatever He allows in our life is for our good and His glory. Ephesians 1.11 says, He works all things after the counsel of His own will. You know, the Bible says in Romans 9 of Pharaoh that for this cause have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. Now, God didn't make Pharaoh harden his heart. Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh chose, but, but God knew what Pharaoh would do. And, and so uh, we need to trust the providence or the future or our needs, whatever we need, to Almighty God, knowing that He knows all these things. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And we just simply need to trust Him. I mean, He can measure the waters and meet out the heavens. 
and weigh the mountains. Sounds preposterous to us, doesn't it? But that's who God is. And so we just need to trust Him. I want you to notice something else here. Not only do we see the, the uh, pardon of God, the provision of God, the providence of God, we see also His presence. If you drop down to verse 27, it says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? You know, Israel was, had this idea, I think God has forgotten about us. Where is he? Where is he? So like Job, you know, he, 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 he said, I go forward, he's not there. I go backward, he's not there. I go to the left and to the right, I cannot find him. But Job said, but I know he knoweth the way that I take. But see, Israel is saying, why hast thou, my way is hid. God doesn't know my situation. God doesn't understand my need. You know, a lot of people have this idea that God just doesn't understand. God just doesn't understand. Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God does understand. And God does know. Psalm 94, 9 says, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? And he that formed the eye, shall he not see? You know, Sunday school, this class this past Sunday morning, Brother Hoyle brought out how the children of Israel, you know, they, they, they'd sin, and then they'd cry to God, and God sent the judge to deliver them, and then they'd go back to sinning again, and then they'd cry to God, and God sent the judge, and they went back to sinning after Gideon, or after Abimelech, or no, after Jephthah it was, and, and so they cried to God again, and God said, go, go, go cry to your gods. It wasn't that God didn't hear. They weren't really repentant and turning away from their sin. And until they put away their idols and their strange gods among them, then God was grieved with their situation. We see, it's sort of like a lot of people that say, God don't understand. You know what they're really saying? I want God on my terms. I want to turn to God on my terms. I want him to meet my need on my terms, not his. God doesn't meet our needs on our terms. He meets them on his terms. And so, you know, we are promised the presence of God, but we must come to God on his terms. We must come to God in his terms. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, for he is reward of them that diligently seek him. Uh, James, or not James, for, I mean, I'm looking at James, that's why. Uh, Timothy tells us in 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one meter between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. See, we have to come to God on his terms. I talked to a fellow here a couple weeks ago. 
and he, he has this idea that he just can't quite comprehend that there's only one way to God. You know, what about all those people out there in the world, the Buddhists and the Hindus and, you know, and all these? I said, they have the light of creation. And I said, I believe that if, if they will accept the light of creation, God will get them further light. That's the principle that's taught in the Word of God. But I said, but, but, but all of the world has witness to the, the glory of God, and so they are without excuse. There is only one way to God, and one way to have His presence with us. He does not hide from us. What does James 4, 8 say? Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. You see, God doesn't ever move. God doesn't ever change. So if you want to be near to God, you have to draw near to Him. Because if if you turn your own way, or turn away from His way, you're drawing away from Him. See, we have to draw an eye to God. God hasn't moved. God does not change. Uh, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, in verses uh, 1 through 12, the psalmist, Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Now knowest my down-sitting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in, in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was in secret. So he's talking about before he was born here, his parts that were being formed in the, in the belly of his mother. He says, you, you knew about them. When I was made and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. You see, God doesn't hide from us. It's we that go astray from Him. He's always seeking us. Even as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59 uh, to the nation of Israel, in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And so, 
you know, if God's, if, you know, God is always seeking or desiring of fellowship with us, it's us who draw away from the Lord. And, and of course, and so we see here that, you know, God's presence, we, we always have, we have the promise of God's presence. Uh, and then I want you to notice a fifth thing. Not only we see that, that his pardon, his provision, his providence, his presence, but we see he's a God of power. Notice verses 18. And I want you to notice verses 18 and 25. It says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? And then in verse 25, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. Now, I want to notice three things about God's power. First of all, as, as compared to, you know, he, he uses some comparisons in this chapter. Uh, God's power over the nations. He says, His nations are as nothing. Notice verses 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. What's a drop in a bucket? Now, I'm going to put a drop. In this bucket. You can watch me. Where's the drop? See a drop? Can you see the drop? You got good eyes? Well, I, you saw me. I put a drop in it, right? And God says the nations are just dropping a bucket. They're just dropping a bucket. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we're a pretty powerful nation. Would you agree? I mean, there's some pretty powerful nations in the world. But when you start comparing them to God, they're nothing. They're nothing. You know, dropping a bucket is... It's so insignificant, you can't even see it. You can't even see it. He says they're counted as small dust of the balance. You know what the wind does with the dust? It blows it away. Blows it away. Like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Then he says, Behold, he taketh the isles as a very little thing. And that's referring to, I think, islands. And there are 11,000, according to... Google, there's 11, 000, around 11,000 inhabited islands in the world with over 100 million people. Now, depending on how you describe an island, there's millions of islands. But there's around 11,000 inhabited with 100 million people on those islands. And, and, and he says about the isles, they're just a little thing. They're just a little thing. Uh, verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing. They are accounted to him less than nothing and vanity. They're nothing. Go to Deuter- or not Deuteronomy, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And you know, the day is going to come when the, all the nations of the world, the kingdoms of the world, with all their power and all their might, are going to be completely pulverized. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. This is a vision that uh, Daniel is interpreting for Nebuchadnezzar, the first, first dream he had 
of the, the statue that had a head of gold, which is Babylon. It had a chest and arms of silver, which was be the Medo-Persian Empire. It had a midsection of brass, which would have been the Grecian Empire. And, and then it had uh, uh, legs of iron and clay, which is the Roman Empire. And, and then after that, after he tells them about all those kingdoms, he says in verse 44, And the, the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And of course, those kingdoms, you know, Babylon was the first great one. Medo-Persian conquered Babylon. Greece conquered Medo-Persia. And Rome conquered Greece. And, and, but he said, this, there's a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, verse 44 again, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation sure. So Daniel says, you know, after all your, your kingdoms run their course, God's going to destroy all your kingdoms. So you've got Paul Verizon. He's going to set up his kingdom, the rule and reign of Christ. And then in chapter 4, and again in verse 35, chapter 4 and verse 35, Nebuchadnezzar, after he has had his insane period of time and, and comes to sentence again, sentence, or senses again, he says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? So all the great empires are going to be destroyed. The nations are as nothing. They're nothing. When you compare them to God. All the, all the military might and power that you see in the world is going to be destroyed by God. I want you to notice also, not only is, all the nations are as nothing, but he has power over men. Uh, chapter 40 again, verses 23 to 24, it says, That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity, Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stalks shall not take root in the earth. He shall also blow upon them. They shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as a stubble. Now, what, what happened to Pharaoh, the mightiest kingdom on the earth at the time, when he set himself against God's people? I mean, those defenseless Hebrews who didn't even have weapons of war? What happened to Eglon, the king of Moab, versus Ehud, that left-handed judge? Or Haman, who raised himself against God's people? He got hung in his own gallows that he had built. Or Goliath, who cursed the God of Israel? Or Sennacherib, here in chapter 36 of, uh, of Isaiah, Sennacherib comes against the land of Judah and he sends his general, Rabshakeh, and he makes threats and taunts uh, 
the children of Israel, Hezekiah and the children of Israel, in verse 4, he says, And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What comfort is this wherein thou trustest? I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel, strength for war. Now in whom dost thou trust, that thou rebellest against me? Though thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, whereon if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce. It is So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that trust in him. But if thou say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars has high hath taken away, and said to Judah and Jerusalem, ye shall wor- worship before this altar? So he comes up against Israel with a great army and besieges Jerusalem and, and makes this threat or taunts them with these words, saying, hey, why are you trusting in Egypt? That's the main help. Hey, why are you trusting in Hezekiah? I mean, after all, he took away the altars and these, these uh, high places, which shows his ignorance about the worship of the true God. Because the high places and the altars and the, and the groves weren't supposed to be there anyway. They were supposed to worship at the tabernacle. But, uh, but anyway, he, he makes these threats against him. Do you know what happens to him? The angel of the Lord goes out one night and kills 185,000 of his soldiers in one night. And he returns to his own land in shame, and his two sons kill him. Or Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, who in defiance against God brought the vessels from the, that were taken, that Nebuchadnezzar's grandfather had taken from, from, the, from the tabernacle or the temple, and he, he took those vessels and drank wine out of them and mocked God. And the handwriting came on the wall. You've been found, kingdoms, you're found wanting. Your kingdom is finished. And of course, that night, he was slain. Or Herod in Acts chapter 12, who raised his hand against the church, killed James with a sword, arrested Peter. Peter escaped. The angel of the Lord delivered Peter. And then he goes down to Caesarea and gives a speech. And they said, they, they gave him, um, they said it was the voice of an angel. And, and, and God smote him. You see, God has power over men. Isaiah 26 and verse 5, he says, For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city he layeth it low. He layeth it low even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. And so God is able. God has power over men. But once you notice a third thing, he gives power to the weak that wait on him. Notice verses 29 to 31 of Isaiah 40 again, and it says, He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word faint means weary or fatigued. The idea of having no might. In other words, you have no wealth, no position of power, no ability to do anything. To fight, as it were, or to defend yourself. But you put your you trust in the Lord or you wait in Him. The word wait here means to fix one's hope on. Put your expectation in the Lord. You know, the good examples of this are here's Joseph, a slave, a prisoner. What can he do? Nothing. It looks like 
an impossible situation. It looks like that's where Joseph's going to be for the rest of his life. But he put his trust in the Lord. And Joseph went from a slave and a prisoner to the second command to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, governor over the land of Egypt. Gideon, the least from the least tribe in Israel, from the least family in the tribe, and the least in his own household, outnumbered 400 to 1, defeats the Midianites. Hannah, who without strength or hope, childless, given Samuel, the man of God, and more children after that. Mordecai, a captive in a foreign land in the book of Esther, who gives a public outcry against this powerful Haman, who's really the second in the command in the, in the Median Persian Empire. Mordecai, Haman is hanged. Mordecai becomes a great man wearing royal apparel. David, the shepherd boy, anointed king. Daniel, the captive, who purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. He's exalted to high government office in which he remains in that position even through transfer of power from one kingdom to another. You know, if you would think about the kingdoms of the world, that is almost, that is really an impossibility. But with God, nothing is impossible. Paul said in Acts chapter 26, Therefore, having obtained help of God, I remain unto this day preaching the gospel. You see, God gives power to the faint, to the weary, to those who have no power. God gives power to those that wait upon the Lord, he says. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be faint. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ, when He raised from the dead and set Him in His own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that world which is to come. You see, this power is to usward who believe. Joseph believed God. He trusted God. Mordecai trusted God. David trusted God. Daniel trusted God. And to them, God gave power. He renewed their strength. You know, we need to trust God. He has power to enable us to live the life of faith that he desires us to live. We just need to trust him. We just need to rely on him. Put our confidence and our expectation in him. Not in nations, princes that are nothing. They come and go. God never changes. Might we trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we receive from it. I pray, Father, that you help us just to uh, trust you, to rest our 
rest upon you and upon your promises, knowing that they are yea and amen, and allow you to work your will in and through us. And we'll just thank you and praise you for all that you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.